Thank you. I can't... Um, well, this morning uh, is, is a little bit different than what was, was planned. Elise and I were going to uh, both kind of share just sort of a debrief and what God's been doing in our hearts and um, give a little snapshot of the last few months. And uh, she has some sort of a non-COVID mystery illness. She hasn't tested negative a couple times for COVID, but is running a fever and not feeling very well and didn't feel like it would be wise to come just share that on our first Sunday back with you guys. So... Uh, I'm going to share with you uh, this morning what I was going to share next week, and then, Lord willing, next week we'll share what we were going to share this week. So, um, if you would, please join me in John chapter 15, and while you're turning there, um, there's, like I said, there'll be more that we want to say next week, um, but I, I just can't thank you all enough. Um, I want to thank you as a church body for your prayers, for those of you who uh, reached out with... Um, texts or phone calls or just stop by to encourage us, to pray with us, um, that meant so much. Um, I'm so grateful to our elders for giving us this time away and for the opportunity to, to really just uh, spend some time not only on our marriage, but uh, learning some new rhythms and, and learning some new uh, just ways of not only relating to each other as husband and wife, but uh, ministry-wise, parenting just the whole gamut, and it's still a learning process. We're still a work in progress and still learning a great deal. I'm so thankful to our staff and, um, and the different ways in which uh, our pastors and our, our staff just um, came together and not only supported us, but it took on, just you know, grabbed things and just kept running with them, and um, so many of you stepped up in so many different ways. I, we wouldn't have time to just name all the ways in which... Uh, God's people use their gifts in, in powerful ways to serve one another, to serve our church, uh, to start some new ministries. I'm so excited about what God's doing in the women's ministry. Uh, man, there are just some um, amazing things, really just sort of uh, putting us guys to shame. But um, really, I'm, I'm excited about not only this if gathering, but many of the ways in which you've um, begun to, to fellowship, to strengthen each other, uh, Bible studies. Uh, there's some great things coming um, down the road for our women's ministry, and I, I'm just so excited about uh, what God is doing in our midst. God is at work, and, and we'll, we'll share some of the, again, some of the new things that God has laid on our hearts, but uh, one of the things that I'm going to freak you out with this morning is that as is, um, we get together to study God's Word, I want to um, I want to be a little bit more interactive. I get up here and talk for anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes, depending on how long I go, and uh, I, I want to give a chance for um, a little bit more involvement. We'll just kind of dip our toe in the water here. So I, this morning, I, what I need is I'd like to have a couple of people to read a couple of short passages just from where you are. You don't have to come up to the microphone. I mean, if you want to, you can. We can grab a mic for you. But uh, just to read a couple of short passages. So I'm going to read out a couple. And if you raise your hand, you can just find that passage. And when we get there, I'd love for you to just read it as loud as you can from where you are. Uh, the first one is John 15, 9 through 11. Most of you are already there. Would someone be willing when we get there to read John 15, 9 through 11? Butch? All right. Thank you, brother. And then uh, Psalm 89, 1. Have a volunteer for that? Psalm 89, 1. That'll be a little later in the message. All right, thank you. Psalm 89, 1. And then uh, Psalm 66, 16. Psalm 66, 16. Thank you, Cindy. I, that, was, that actually went a lot better than I thought. I thought I was ready to be like, listen, I've been off for four months. I got all the time in the world. I'll just sit down here. So that was great. Thank you. Um, 
That's fantastic. <laughs> Just this week, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine who's in his 60s and has been, been preaching for many years. And recently, he found some of the sermons that he preached back when he was in his 20s. And most of the time, when a pastor looks back at their first sermons, they kind of roll their eyes and they think, oh my goodness, this was terrible. How did anybody even tolerate this? And, and so I thought that was the comment that he was going to make, because he said, I, I couldn't believe it, um, that I was preaching this stuff. And I thought he meant it was lousy, and I couldn't believe that they didn't run him off for being a heretic or something. And, and he said, no, 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 no. He said, he said I couldn't believe that I... Like, like, my sermons in my 20s were really theologically rich. Like, I, I don't remember knowing this stuff back then. Um, they, they were, they, like, I look at it, I'm like, wow, that was really biblically sound. I didn't, I didn't realize I had learned that yet. Um, and, and, and what he said next sort of surprised me. And he said, you know, the problem was my theology was, was really good. I said, well, why is that a problem? I mean, that's, that's a, it's a good thing. You don't want to be a bad theologian if you're sharing and teaching and preaching God's word. He said, no, it wasn't that. He said, my theology was really good, but it was many years before that theology made its way to my heart. He said, I, I understood these truths that I was preaching, and I was teaching them in a way that could be understood but they had never grabbed a hold of my heart, not till many, many years later, till God brought me to an end of myself, and those truths began to make their way from my mind, from being concepts, to getting down into my heart. And you know, I, I think that that's part of the journey that God has had me on over these last few months, really probably even longer, further back than that, but that God is continually teaching me teaching my heart to understand and believe and live in these theological truths that I learned from boyhood, even as a child, and on into Bible college. The simple understanding, and what I want to talk about this morning, of relearning what it means to be loved by God. Karl Barth is, uh, was, a, was a probably, probably, well not probably, he was one of the most prolific theologians of the 20th century. His church dogmatics is one of the biggest systematic theologies that's ever been written. He was a, even if you disagreed with his theology, there was no doubt that he was extremely gifted, not only in his intelligence, but in his ability to explain and to write his theology. He was born in Switzerland and went and then lived in Germany and taught in Germany till the Nazis expelled him. He was a leading figure in the Christian opposition to Hitler, right along with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In the early 60s, Bart made his only trip to the United States. At one of the stops, he took part in a panel discussion at the University of Chicago at the Rockefeller Chapel, an enormous Gothic cathedral. And during the question and answer time, a young student stood up and asked this prolific theologian, Professor Bart, could you summarize your entire life's work in a few words? What's your most profound theological summary? 
Bart paused only for a second. He said, yes, I can do that. I can summarize it in the words of a song my mother taught me when I was a child. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Now we can, we can read, we can study, we can learn, we can be prolific theologians, have a YouTube channel where we pontificate our great wisdom, write books that fill shelves and Yet it's possible to walk through life, even as Christians, without simply understanding or truly believing in the love of God. Which would, would you be willing, willing to read John 15, 9 through 11? These verses were on my heart and mind even before we decided to take a step away and take a break. And I keep coming back to them. I haven't, not every day, but multiple times a week, I come back to John 15, and my heart is drawn to verse 9 over and over again. I've been trying to live in verse 9 for the last few months, and I, I don't I don't believe I yet understand it. But did you hear the first phrase that Butch read us this morning? This is Jesus talking to the disciples. He's just finished talking about the vine and the branches. And he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, I think that if the God of this universe, the great I Am, supernaturally opened our eyes to fully understand the riches of that phrase, there's not a one of us who wouldn't be on our faces before God this morning in joy and in worship with awe in our hearts and tears pouring from our eyes, to think that the love that God the Father has for the Son is the same love that Jesus has for us. Now this morning, if your heart's feeling a bit cynical and you want to quibble about words and context, you may be thinking, well, Pastor, that's fine, but he's talking to the disciples Jesus loved the disciples. He's not talking to us. Read the end of John chapter 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer, and he says these same words about all those who would believe through the disciples' words. Jesus is speaking to us as the Father has loved me. So have I loved you. Here's a chance to be interactive again. How would, you, how would you describe the, the love that the Father has for the Son? It can be just a one-word answer. What, what comes to your mind when you think of the love that God the Father has for God the Son? Perfect. Intense. 
Unconditional. Fantastic. What else comes to your mind? Never ending. Sacrificial. Good. This is going way better than I thought it was. I was a little bit like, <laughs> I think I was going to have to guilt trip you into this a little bit. Anything else that comes to mind? I wrote down just a couple. God the Father's love for the Son is an eternal love. It's an eternal love. Try to think back to, let's say, 10 years ago in your life. You have a memory that you can grab a hold of from 10 years ago. What about 20 years ago? I realize we could go on and on with this. For some of you... We've got a few decades that we could go into, but what can you can you remember your earliest memory? How old were you when 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 you reached back there? Your first memory. I think one of my earliest memories was when I think I was about three, mom, when we went down to Florida and um, with grandma, and I still remember being on the plane playing at, at your feet. I think you were pregnant with Jacob at the time, and um, I remember just a couple of things from that trip, a couple little memories. I think I almost drowned on that trip, or one of us almost drowned. Um, you know, at some point, we, we go back, and we can, we can get a ways back. Some of you have excellent memory. I've talked to some of you who can remember boyhood stories from decades and decades ago, or childhood stories with incredible detail, and I think, I wish I had that kind of, that kind of recall, and that kind of memory. But at some point... We hit a wall. Like, I've never talked to anybody who's like, I remember the good old days, sitting in mom's tummy, not a care in the world. Like, it doesn't go back that far. Like, it, at some point, we stop. Four, three, two, whatever. You, you, can't, you can only go back so far. Well, try to imagine, if you would, eternity. Like, even before the creation of time. Our minds can't even fathom this. Mine starts to short circuit and burn out. Like, I can't fathom a time before time, a time when there was no time, for all eternity. But that's, that was God, the one who, who has always been. And for all eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have existed in perfect, eternal love. They have always been, and they have always been the three in one, and they have always loved perfectly. Jesus says here in, the, in this passage that the Father has loved him with a love that has been in place since before the beginning of time. That's an incredible love, a love I can't fathom, I can't wrap my mind around. Secondly, as someone mentioned, it's an unconditional love. I love that. The Father's love for the Son is not an un or it is an unconditional love. It's not based on what Jesus came and did. Jesus didn't have to perform like some circus monkey for the Father to get his approval. The Father's up there, not, he's not up there saying like, come on, I mean, that's not a big, no big miracle, water into wine, like you could have done a little better than that. Seriously, you just raised that guy from the dead? You just raised one today? That's it? Like, there was, there was nothing in the Father's 
interaction with the son that was based upon how Jesus did or how people responded to the ministry. The father's up there like, well, you got 12 followers? That's the best you could do, Jesus? Now, all joking aside, now some of us, some of us grew up in homes where we had earthly fathers that were like that. We tried hard to approve, get, gain their approval, and no matter what we did, we couldn't get it. It was never good enough. And if that was you, I'm sorry that you lived that way, but I want you to know that your heavenly Father is not like that. And Jesus' relationship with the Father is, sort of exemplifies that for us. This love was an eternal love. Recently, I watched a movie that I hadn't seen in years, maybe, maybe 15 to 20 years. I was watching it with my oldest son. It's the movie Saving Private Ryan. Um, what a powerful movie, powerful depiction of the atrocities of World War II and the hell that our soldiers went through to liberate Europe and to, to protect our world, to preserve our freedoms. Powerful depiction. Um, by the way, there's a, I'm going to spoil the movie if you haven't seen it, but it's like 24 years old, so you know what, you've had your chance, okay. So the movie's about, right, Tom Hanks, and he's taking a group of guys, and they're looking for Private Ryan, whose two other brothers have died in the war, and their mission is to find Private Ryan and save him so that his parents don't lose all three children in this war. That's their whole mission, and throughout this mission, guys from their company die. They give their lives looking for Private Ryan to save him. And towards the end of the movie, as they find him, and they're they're fending off one last German attack. Tom Hanks is mortally wounded, and as he lays there dying, and Private Ryan is just is weeping and, and, and knows that he gave his life so that he could live. Tom, Tom Hanks' final words to him. He looked him in the eye and he said, earn this. Earn it. And I don't remember if it had just been so long since I had seen it or if um, I just really wasn't paying that much attention the first time I watched it all those years ago. But I heard those words and I thought, that's terrible. That's, what an awful line to leave with a guy. And the scene flashes where it started, the movie started, where Private Ryan now is an old man and he's got his family and they've, they've come to pay tribute to the, the um, men who risked their lives. And they're at this cemetery flashes to this, and he, and he has his family all around him, his kids and his grandkids, and he says, have I earned it? Have, have, I, have I been a good man? And I, I looked at Caleb, and I thought, I said, I love this movie, it's such a powerful movie, but there is no gospel in that whatsoever, that I've got to earn the sacrifice of another. The gospel says, that God's love for us is unconditional. It's not based upon what we do, how well we perform, 
how good our day is, what kind of a dad or a mom I've been, what kind of a father or grandparent I've been, what kind of a pastor I've been. Because if we look really carefully, we're going to find a lot of failures. We're going to find a lot of faults. We're going to find a lot of sin. Our acceptance by God is based upon what Jesus Christ has done. His love for us is unconditional. And we, we follow, when we trace that river of love back to its source, we find it in the Trinity. That the Father has unconditionally loved the Son throughout all eternity. This love is an eternal love, it's an unconditional love, and it's a limitless love. We cannot imagine having infinite love with which to love everyone. You may look around this room and be able to say, hey, as much as I'm able, I, I love anybody, everybody in this room. I, don't, I know that I don't hate anybody, but the reality is, is that you don't, you don't know everybody. It's impossible to know everybody equally well and to love them with the same intensity. We all understand that. We have a deeper affection reserved for, hopefully, for our, our spouse and our kids and those who are closest to us, our closest friends and confidants. You may be able to genuinely say, I love so-and-so and I love that person at church, but I don't know them that well. Sure, I, I love their kids. I've, I've, I've more, no more than two or three conversations with them. We, we, we are... We are finite human beings. We only have so much time in the day. We only have so much energy. We can't love with the kind of intensity that God loves. But God has a, a love for the Son that is limitless. The Father never runs out of time and energy to love the Son. Fourthly, it's a steady and an unwavering love. I want you to try to imagine for a moment a time in your life where your heart was welling up with love more than it ever had before. Try to think about it for a moment. Maybe it was your wedding day. Maybe it was holding your child in your arms for the first time. Maybe it was beholding a new hunting blind it was sure to promise great returns. Your love just bubbled up. It welled over. It just it flowed like it never had before. You don't have to answer this one out loud or raise your hands. But is your love today the same as in that moment? Do you still feel that same emotion, that same exuberance? See, as humans, our, our love waxes and wanes. It has highs and lows. But the Father's love for the Son has never waned, has never abated, has never had glitches or, or dry patches, dull absences where it just it, it wasn't there, it just wasn't feeling it. The Father's love for the Son just continues to pour forth like a mighty river that never runs dry, that never experiences drought. It's a steady and unwavering love. And finally, it's a perfect and complete love. 
There's more that we could say, more that we could turn over. We'll come back to this again and again in the coming months. What does that second phrase in John 15, 9 say? As the Father loves me, what does it say? So have I loved you. The Father pours forth his love towards the Son, and Jesus says, I love you that much. I love you with the same love that the Father has towards me. I'm convinced that it's not going to be possible for us to figure this out until we're with Jesus. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't invest our lives into trying, into going deeper and deeper into this truth. What does it mean to know that you are loved Every bit as much as the Father loves the Son. With this perfect, full, never wavering, eternal love. What does that do to your hearts this morning? I mean, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a charismatic guy, but Dan, I feel like we, we need to, we should see a little bit more emotion here. Like, are you moved by knowing that Jesus loves you today? With that very same love that the Father has for him. This Trinitarian love spills over into his creation, into your life, into my life. Shaking up a two liter bottle of soda and opening the lid, but What happens next just doesn't stop. It just keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. The problem with that analogy is that it's random, the spraying of the soda all over the place. You see, where this Trinitarian love that overflows towards us, it's not just like smattering and hitting here and there, and ooh, you get a little bit, and oh, I got a little bit of God love on me, and that's cool. It's it's directed directly towards you, towards me. That's what Jesus is saying here. This this spillover love from the Trinity isn't just splashing onto us by accident. God's looking you right in the eye, you, and says, as the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so I love you. Not mankind, not this creation in general, but you, me. What does the end of verse 9 tell us to do with that? What's the command in the passage? Someone read that last phrase in verse 9. What's it say? Remain in my love. Abide in my love. I love the... There's different ways of talking about this. One way of translating this is to make yourself at home in my love. When you're invited into someone's house and you feel at home there, and they tell you, make yourself at home, and you feel truly like you can relax, maybe 
You can put your feet up. You, you just sort of settle in. It lets you use their favorite recliner. And you're comfortable. You're, you're content. You're not at ease and anxious and on the edge of your seat. And I wonder if it's okay to walk on the carpet with my shoes or is it okay to, if, I have, if I have a drink here in the living room. Or, you're just fully at ease. You're not wondering about your manners. You're not wondering about your P's and Q's. You're just, you're just there. I think that's what Jesus is telling us to do with his love. Make yourself at home. Or another way of, of fleshing this out is, is sort of uh, find a continual enjoyment here. Set up shop, as it were, and remain in my love. What do you think it would do to our hearts this morning if you and I truly believed this? I mean, truly believed it down at the core of who we are. What if we operated and lived from this truth? Like we settled in and every morning when we got up, we just like rested in this truth and, and sort of repeated it to ourselves that Jesus you love me the same way the Father loves you. You love me with an eternal, unconditional love. And just sort of meditated on that for the first 10, 15, 20 minutes of our day. How would that change your heart? I guarantee you it would change your relationship with God. And I would be willing to bet that it would change the way you relate to others as well. How do we respond to hearing Jesus say this? Just three things quickly as we close. The first way we should respond is to pray. And pray that God would help us get it more and more and more. Ephesians 3, we've, we've looked at this passage before, but you can't, you can't exhaust its wealth. Paul prays a prayer for the Ephesians. I'm going to read it to you out of a little bit different translations in Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. And he says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, Paul's speaking about God, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. That prayer is so unbelievably rich. Truly, we should work this into our time with God. Replace the yous with personal pronouns, I and me. God, may I truly understand the depth of your love for me. Help me to understand the dimensions of this love and to understand what it means so that I might be made complete. Secondly, we should worship. As we encounter this kind of love, we should worship. Psalm 89.1, who I know that was a long time ago. Who's going to read? Thank you. 
thank you. The psalmist says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing about this. I'm going to lift up my voice in worship. When we encounter God in a powerful way, that should be our response. Worship. And then finally, witness. Psalm 66, 16. Come and hear. The psalmist didn't want to just leave it as telling God about what he had done for his soul, but he wanted to gather others around and let the world know. How about you this morning? What does it mean to your heart to know that you are loved by the, by the Son of God, the precious, eternal Son of God, in the same way that the Father loves him. I want to just take a moment as we close and give you a chance to just bow and talk to God about what he's saying to your hearts. Feel free if you want to get out a piece of paper and jot something down, maybe write down a prayer or jot down some things he's laying on your heart. I'm just going to give, give you a moment of quiet here before we pray together and just let you commune with God and thank him for his amazing love. Jesus, we can't thank you enough. For your love. We can't thank you enough for coming not just to talk about love, to preach sermons about love, tell stories about love, We thank you that in your love, you stepped down from heaven, became a man, and the only way possible to satisfy the justice of God and his wrath for our sins, you took our sin upon yourself. Just as sins were placed upon a sacrificial lamb in the Old Testament, which were pointing forward to what you would do, you took our sins and you paid the penalty by dying upon the cross in our place.
You prove yourself victorious and powerful over death by returning from the grave three days later. And you tell us, for as many as believe, you will give the right to become your sons and daughters. Heavenly Father, this morning, may each person in here believe for themselves that this incredible, mind-boggling love is for them and the work of Jesus upon the cross in our place is, is truly for us. And God, may we make ourselves at home in that love. May we abide in that love. May we come to a settled satisfaction of your great love for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. If, if you experience God's love for the first time in a saving way today, I'd love to talk to you. Come on up after the service, and I'd love to talk to you more about that. As we prepare to go, I want to leave you with this benediction from Revelation chapter 1. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You're dismissed.